are continuing the study that we began last week, and this will go on for the next several weeks. And the basis of this is America and God, and the Judeo-Christian principles upon which this country was originally founded. And today we want to focus particularly on the founding fathers of America. I remember very well many years ago making a visit to Williamsburg, Virginia. And it was a thrilling experience at that time to see the places where our nation had its beginning. To see where Patrick Henry actually made his speech in opposition to the Stamp Act. Now that speech in opposition to the Stamp Act is not to be confused with his famous give me liberty or give me death quotation. That was a different speech. The Stamp Act was a series of taxes that England was levying against the colonies. The purpose of which was to maintain an army and a navy in the colonies. And the basis of the opposition to the Stamp Act was taxation without representation. I often wonder if they oppose taxation with, without representation, what they'd think about taxation with representation the way we have it in our country today, but that's another lesson. A few years later, in 1773, came the tea tax That was passed by Parliament. It was in the Virginia House of Burgesses that Henry made his speech in opposition to the Stamp Act. It was May the 29th, 1765. And he said, Caesar had his Brutus, Charles I his Cromwell, and George III. At this point, he was interrupted, and the Speaker of the House of Burgesses cried, Treason! Henry continued, May profit by their example. Then he looked at the Speaker and said, If this be treason, make the most of it. It was ten years later. March the 23rd, 1775, he spoke these words. Is life so dear, or peace so sweet, to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Notice something. This passionate patriot, the man who had spoken in opposition to the Stamp Act ten years earlier, in this Virginia convention, this passionate patriot called on Almighty God. And he also saw to it that the following language was put into the Virginia Bill of Rights on June the 12th, 1776. That religion, or the duty which we owe to our Creator, and the manner of discharging it, can be directed only by reason and conviction and not by force or violence. And therefore, all men are equally entitled to the free exercise of religion according to the dictates of conscience, And that is the mutual duty of all, of all, to practice Christian forbearance, love, and charity towards each other. There are a lot of elected officials today that need to read that language and understand it. I also remember making a visit to Lexington and Concord in Massachusetts. 
I've been to Independence Hall in Philadelphia. I've seen the Liberty Bell up close and personal. Engraved on the Liberty Bell are these words. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. That's on the Liberty Bell. Do you have a clue where that actually came from? It's in Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 10. If the ACLU ever finds out that it's there and that's where it came from, they'll probably file a lawsuit to have it filed off. I remember a woman that worked for my mother when I was younger. Her name was Ethel. She had very little formal schooling, but she was very wise. She knew people. And she had a remarkable insight. I remember her talking about the conditions that existed in America well over 50 years ago. And she said, people have just gotten too far away from God, Ms. Perkins. I've thought about that a lot. And I wonder what Ethel would say if she were still alive today. Because what we are facing in America, we've been facing this for several years. And what has been, pardon me, exacerbated by our present distress is the systematic erosion of our freedom and the silencing of God in America. The closing of churches by edict of elected government representatives. Because we're told today by secular progressives, revisionist historians, that this is not a Christian nation. America is not a Christian nation. And I will agree to that premise up to a point. In the strictest definition of the term Christian, we are not a Christian nation. In the sense that the majority of this nation are are baptized believers in Jesus Christ, we are not a Christian nation. However, in the sense that the values... The laws of America are rooted in a Judeo-Christian heritage. America is a Christian nation. Because our founding fathers, listen to, remember what Patrick Henry said. And our founding fathers understood that there is a powerful connection between faith and freedom. And they also understood there is a direct connection between government and God. Men first crossed the Atlantic to secure liberty for their souls. And religious faith was a primary reason for the founding of America. And that same religious faith also guided her establishment as an independent nation. But here is the problem. We have lost our way in America. The ACLU, the Freedom from Religion Foundation, secular, progressive professors, and all other types have stolen our heritage and they have actually hijacked it. And we are being told today, God has no place in America. And what they try to tell us as revisionist historians is that America was a secular nation founded by atheists and deists. And there's a Greek word for that. It's baloney. What is an atheist? An atheist 
is one who denies the existence of God. What is a deist? A deist is one who holds to a system of thought advocating natural religion based on human reason rather than revelation, emphasizing morality and denying the interference of the Creator with the laws of the universe. And then there's an agnostic, one who holds the view that any ultimate reality such as God is unknown and probably unknowable. They want us to believe that America is a product of enlightened thinking. And they want us to realize that because of this enlightened thinking, our success as a nation is due to nothing more than our own intellect. We have forgotten God. We had a president in recent years who actually made the assertion that America was not a Christian nation. Now, again, remember, in the strictest sense of the word, we are not a Christian nation in the strictest sense of that term. But contemporary postmodern critics, including our former president, who assert that America is not a Christian nation, always refrain from offering any definition of what a Christian nation means. What does that mean? What is an accurate definition of that term as demonstrated by the American experience? Contrary to what the critics would imply, a Christian nation is not one in which all the citizens are Christians, nor is it one where the laws require everyone to adhere to Christian theology, nor is it one where all the leaders are Christians, or any other such superficial measurement of a Christian nation. David Brewer was a Supreme Court Justice from 1889 to 1910. He was the son of a Congregationalist minister. Gee, I wonder if any senator would have said the dogma lives loudly within you while he was trying to be confirmed. Here is what he had to say about America being a Christian nation. In what sense can America be called a Christian nation? Not in the sense that Christianity is the established religion, or that the people in any manner are compelled to support it. On the contrary, the Constitution specifically provides that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Neither is it Christian in the sense that all its citizens are either in fact or named Christians. On the contrary, all religions have free scope within our borders. Numbers of our people profess other religions, and many reject all. Nor is it Christian in the sense that a profession of Christianity is a condition of holding office or otherwise engaging in public service 
are essential to recognition either politically or socially. In fact, the government as a legal organization is independent of all religions. Nevertheless, we constantly speak of this republic as a Christian nation. In fact, as the leading Christian nation of the world. Now here's the question. If being a Christian nation is not based on any of the above criteria, what makes America a Christian nation? According to Justice Brewer, America was, of all the nations in the world, most justly called a Christian nation because Christianity has so largely shaped it and molded it. Now, that information that I just read is found in a book by David J. Brewer. The book is entitled, The United States, A Christian Nation. It was published in Philadelphia by the John C. Winston Company in 1905. Now, listen to the assertions that came from one of our former presidents. One of our former presidents for several years repeatedly claimed that America is not a Christian nation. This former president made that assertion while he was a United States senator. He made that assertion while he was a presidential candidate. While he was president, he repeated it on a presidential trip to Turkey. And he announced in Turkey to the world that Americans do not consider ourselves a Christian nation. He said that he made that announcement in Turkey because it was a location he chose to send a clear message. This same president preceding a trip to Egypt, declared that America was one of the largest Muslim countries in the world. Even though the federal government's own statistics show that less than 1% of Americans are Muslims. But, this president's statements were publicized across the world, and yet they received very little attention in the American media. Had they actually been carried and covered and outlined in the American media, this president might have been surprised to learn that nearly two-thirds of Americans still consider America to be a Christian nation. And therefore, those folks might have actually taken exception to the things that he said. But, regardless of what today's Americans might think. It is unquestionable that previous American leaders would definitely take offense to the former president's statements. But modern claims that America is not a Christian nation are rarely noticed and rarely refuted because there is a widespread ignorance of Americans' history. There is a lack of knowledge of the history of America. 
there's a lack of knowledge and an ignorance of America's foundation. Here's the thing. Our founding fathers had a deep abiding faith in God. Their theology might have differed from mine and from yours. But they did believe in the God of heaven. Now, revisionist historians want to paint George Washington as a deist. Remember, a deist is one who relies on reason rather than revelation and denies that God would interfere with the universe. Here are the words of Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation issued by President George Washington at the request of Congress, October 3, 1789. It reads, by the President of the United States, a proclamation. Whereas, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And, whereas both houses of Congress have, by their joint committee, requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these United States to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifold mercies and the favor, able interpositions of his providence in the course and conclusion of the late war, for the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty which we have since enjoyed, for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national one now lately instituted, for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed, and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge and, in general, for all the great and various favors which he has been pleased to confer upon us. And also, that we may then unite in most humble offering of our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations, and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, 
to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually, to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed, to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, especially such as have shown kindness to us, and to bless them with good governments, peace, and concord, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue, and the increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best. Given under my hand at the city of New York, the third day of October, in the year of our Lord, 1789, George Washington. Did you know, as a young man, George Washington kept a prayer journal? The title of his prayer journal was Daily Sacrifice. Here are some entries in that prayer journal. Here's one. O God, who is rich in mercy and plenteous in redemption, mark not, I beseech thee, what I have done amiss. Remember that I am but dust, and remit my transgressions and ignorances, and cover them all with the obedience of thy dear Son, that those sacrifices of sin, praise, and thanksgiving which I have offered may be accepted by thee in and for the sacrifices of Jesus Christ offered upon the cross for me. Here's another entry. Direct my thoughts, words, and work. Wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the Lamb, and purge my heart by Thy Holy Spirit. Daily frame me more and more into the likeness of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. Do those quotations actually sound like they would come from a deist? Do those actually sound like something that would come from a man who doesn't believe that God interferes in the affairs of his people? They sound like they come from a man who is remembered as a man of prayer. Did you know, today, there is a room in the United States Capitol that is a private prayer room? And this prayer room is only accessible to members of Congress? The way they act, I don't think many of them are using it very often, but that's another story. In that room, there is a stained glass window portraying our first president, George Washington, kneeling in prayer with these words. Preserve me, O God, 
For in thee do I put my trust. Here's another quote from Washington. The general most earnestly requires and expects a due observance of those articles of war established for the government of the army, which forbid profane cursing, swearing, and drunkenness. And in like manner, he requires and expects of all officers and soldiers not engaging in actual duty, a punctual attendance at divine service to implore the blessings of heaven upon the means used for our safety and defense. That was one of the very first directives that George Washington issued as commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. Why would an atheist or a deist require regular church attendance. He requires and expects punctual attendance of divine service. That was what General Washington said. Why would an atheist or a deist care anything about drunkenness and cursing among the soldiers? Now, here's some other quotations. These are from page 16 of the Conduct Manual for the United States Navy. The commanders of the ships of the 13 United Colonies are to take care that divine service be performed twice a day on board and a sermon preached on Sundays unless bad weather or other extraordinary accident prevents. That's in paragraph 2, page 16, Conduct Manual for, the, Manual for the United States Navy during the Revolutionary War. Here's another quotation. If any shall be heard to swear, curse, or blaspheme the name of God, the commander is strictly enjoined to punish them for every offense. I love this. By causing them to wear a wooden collar or some other shameful badge of distinction for so long time as he shall judge proper. If he be a commissioned officer, he shall forfeit one shilling for each offense. And a warrant or inferior officer, sixpence. He who is guilty of drunkenness, if a seaman shall be put in irons until he is sober, if he is an officer, he shall forfeit two days' pay. Now here's the question. Do any of those things sound like folks who were atheists or deists or agnostics? It sounds more to me like they were those who believed in a divine creator. It sounds more to me like they were those who believed in the God of heaven. And what all this does is, 
it shows the level of ignorance in modern America of our religious heritage. And it shows how that we have gone so far the other direction that like we talked about last week, the idea of freedom of religion in America, some have taken it to mean freedom from religion, so there should be no mention of God in the public square. That's not what our founding fathers had in mind. That's as foreign to them as anything you can possibly imagine or anything you can comprehend. These men were not atheists. They were not deists. They were not agnostics. They were men who believed in the God of heaven. They were men who believed that God governed in the affairs of men. That's why that at one place it says we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights such as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See, I can say it. I don't have to say, oh, you know the thing. I remember it. And any true patriot does remember it. But anyway, I digress. Our time is gone. Until we're together again, may the Lord richly bless and keep you is our prayer in Jesus' name.